go of any idea or any concept of any meditation you've ever had. See if you can be with a simple quality of presence with each experience as if for the first time. So bringing a quality of curiosity, interest, and the mind of not knowing. Not even knowing what a single in-breath or out-breath is like until it actually happens. Can we let go of any tendency of trying to get somewhere, trying to get something or do something right? Simply allowing awareness to embrace each moment's experience as it is. So this morning I'd like to talk a little about the aspect of inquiry or investigation in our Dharma practice. I'd like to start with a couple of quotes, one from T.S. Eliot. We shall never cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. I think we could summarize much of our practice with that line. We shall never cease from our exploration, and the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. So that's that's why I said what I said in the meditation. Can we practice with that spirit of being here for the first time? Because in a way, this is always the first time. The past is history. The past is dead gone, and there is only just this, what's in front of us. I I got an email the other day, um, and 
just before I talked about this theme with a family program at Spirit Rock, and there was a quote in it, and I often like the way things drop on your doorstep at the right time. It's by Agnes DeMille. Living is a form of not being sure, not knowing what next or how. The moment you know how, you begin to die a little. The artist never entirely knows. We guess. We may be wrong, but we take leap after leap in the dark. And that's been a theme for me in my practice. Whenever we think we know something, in some ways we become dead to it. We actually kill the experience in some way. When we think we know something, we stop looking, we stop seeing things freshly. Whether that's about ourselves, a breath, an experience, our partners, our family, nature. When we think we know what a tree is, doesn't that somewhat, you know, the concept of tree is so removed from the visceral experience of tree as, as is a breath. <clears throat> I had a lot of fun teaching the, the the family day at Spirit Rock. I'd never done that before, and I had this theme of inquiry, and it was just rather interesting because most of the uh, the young ones could have given the talk by <laughs> by their example, you know, just their natural curiosity and wonder at the universe. Matthew Fox talks about the spiritual path really beginning with this sense of wonder or awe or mystery that we've sort of lost touch with for the most part as we've grown older. And those of you who are around children are familiar with the incessant why questions. Why are pigs pink and where do the stars go during the daytime and what does God do in his day off and why do we have hair on our heads and not on our wherever, belly buttons. Or. There's that the vitality of curiosity about life, which we can learn, which we can learn a lot from to, to re-embody that sense of mystery. <clears throat> the quality of investigation or inquiry, <clears throat> or inquiry, inquiry, I think you say in this country, um, was the Buddha talked about as the most important factor of enlightenment, the seven factors of enlightenment. And he said that the quality of investigation was the most important for awakening. And in a way, you can look at his life and particularly his exploration before he fully awakened. <coughs> you can see that he what led to his awakening, if you can have such a causal link to his awakening, what was the inspiration for his awakening was he had this very uh, deep investigative mind, the practice of satipatthana or mindfulness of the four foundations of our experience is really a process of inquiry. There's a, we emphasize the word mindfulness a lot in this tradition being present, being aware, non-judgmentally, with interest, not interfering. But if the, unless that mindfulness is imbued with a quality of inquiry or investigation, 
it doesn't allow the understanding to deepen and to ripen. So in a way, those two, <clears throat> they're not really separate aspects. They're not really separate mental factors. Yet they are both necessary if we if we to really look deeply into ourselves and what it means to be human. When the Buddha talked about <clears throat> his teaching and pra- his teaching being solely focused on suffering and the end of suffering, then what he's asking us to do is to understand, look deeply into the causes of suffering, to understand, to inquire into them. If we don't understand the first noble truth, we won't be free from it, the truth of suffering. And he's also entreating us to understand and look into what are the causes of happiness. What, are the, what, what is that which allows the mind to free itself from suffering, to be with ease and spaciousness. In the Gnostic Gospels, St. Thomas writes, if you bring forth what is inside you, what you bring forth will save you. If you don't bring forth what is inside you, what you don't bring forth will destroy you. So this practice of investigation is to Um, really understand what is inside so we can bring it forth into the light of awareness. When things are held in the light of awareness, there's a possibility of transformation. So in a way, the whole practice of vipassana, which means seeing clearly, is really a practice of investigation. It's a practice of inquiry into this moment, this experience, our mind-body process, how we interrelate with each other, with the world, with the environment. In my teaching, I often meet people who are kind of a little unclear about what this idea of investigation or inquiry is because those words in our culture have... have a very much a, a mental, cognitive, thinking kind of component to them. We think about investigation and inquiry as kind of a, a mental process. If we think hard enough, we'll kind of get it and understand. And as you know, the practice is not necessarily about the cultivation of more thought. We use thought skillfully, but it's not, the, the thinking isn't, <coughs> that which allows us to fully understand things. So I'm going to list a few things that I think are part of this quality of investigation. I think the first <clears throat> is, a, as I said, is a spirit or a, um, an attitude of interest and of curiosity. And the second, which is really part of that interest, is it's a movement of mind towards what's happening. It's a movement towards an experience. <coughs> Rather than perhaps uh, a movement away, say, in aversion. When we're in aversion and we're kind of recoiling or denying or avoiding something, there's absolutely no way we can understand it, right? Because we're sort of backing away from it. We're trying to block it. 
So fundamental to investigating something is to be able to accept what's happening, to allow what's happening, to embrace what's happening. Another aspect of this process is to be able to track a process. So what I mean by that is to uh, sustain an attention on something, say difficult emotion arises, sadness, grief, loss, whatever it is. But we don't, we don't have that concept yet formed, oh, I'm feeling grief. But we just have a lot of feelings in the body, heaviness and um, teariness and you know the whole cluster of things that make up, that we put the label grief on. We need to be able to kind of track that whole movement in the mind-body to understand what grief is. And to not allow the label, oh, I'm feeling sad, to then uh, stop us from f- from fully being with that experience. It's also to be with our experience, be with something without an ex- expectation or an agenda of what should, what should happen, what it should look like, how it should unfold. You ever noticed how you can be with something and there's kind of like this bargaining mind or there's I'll be with this as long as it goes away, or as long as it gets better. Um, that doesn't have the spirit of inquiry in it. It has the, the experience of um, you're trading, you know, you're the marketplace. In my practice, a lot of my uh, practice of investigation is really takes place through the body. Really takes place through listening deeply to what's happening in the body as things are unfolding. And generally we look to the mind for understanding, for clarity, and yet I find actually when I go into my body and feel viscerally what's happening in any experience, in any relationship, in any moment, that's where um, it kind of allows or cultivates a sense of deep listening. Suzuki Roshi said, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities, in the expert's mind there are few. So be watchful of being an expert in anything, especially meditation, especially Buddhism. We like to be experts, right? We like to know. It's, it's, It's a culturally esteemed phenomena to know, to be knowledgeable, and yet it limits possibility when we think we know something. Another kind of prerequisite, I think, for inquiry is um, a kind of balance of mind or samadhi or um, a calm, concentrated mind. You know, we uh, a lot of vipassana practice, even though it's an insight practice, a lot of the practice begins with a cultivation of mind, cultivation of uh, a balanced mind, calm, focused, concentrated, still. Because if the mind's hopping around like a young puppy, which it often does, uh, we're not going to be able to hold still enough to look clearly, right?
So in the Buddhist tradition, there's many different uh, types of inquiry that have sprouted over different generations in different cultures. In, in the Korean Zen tradition, and a lot of the Zen tradition, there's a strong focus on koan study, which is, is a way of inquiring into the truth, into understanding the truth, particularly the truth of emptiness. In the in the Korean Zen tradition, though the one strand of that tradition, they have a practice uh, called emako, which means what is this? And that's the only koan you get. What is this? So people like Stephen and Martin Batchelor, some of you may know, studied under Master Kusan for several years. And the only inquiry he was given was, what is this? So he'd sit in your meditation, what is this? So everything that arises in your experience, in your day, what is this? It's a very profound inquiry. Because uh, when you're practicing, he's no longer alive, but one would think one had the answer. And uh, so I heard Stephen talking, you'd frequently go down to see the master. And as is true in Zen, you know, master-student relationships, you go, I've got the answer. I, I, know, what, I know what it is. I know I finally got and of course, you'd, you'd say what the answer was, and they go, yeah, more meditation, go away, come back in a few months. <laughs> and then every few months, you go back down, oh, this is it, I finally got, this is it. <laughs> no, 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 go away. <laughs> in the Rinzai tradition, my sense of the koan studies is there's... there's many, many koans in that tradition. But my, my sense is the essence of them are really um, how, does your Buddha, how does your Buddha nature manifest in this moment? How does your Buddha nature manifest when you're doing the dishes and changing the diapers and working at the laptop and doing the gardening and shopping at Walgreens? How does your Buddha nature manifest in this moment? What is your Buddha nature? And how, how is it present right here and now? Because it is. Your Buddha nature is radiantly present. In the Advaita tradition that I've studied in a lot, there's also uh, many... Well, there's a, it's called vichara, or self-inquiry in that tradition. Ramana Maharshi would be a famous exponent of that, his inquiry of who am I, being the central koan, really, that we, it's like the only koan we really need to ask ourselves, who am I? There's another form of questioning, which is sort of the negation of that, which is um, not this, not this, neti neti, it's called. And it's sort of the opposite of what is this, is when everything, when anything arises, uh, the mind wants to, usually likes to, to pin on, to hook onto something, to say, well, this is who I am, this is, this is it. And so the practice of neti neti is, is actually a letting go practice of not this, not this, nor this, nor this, not body, not mind, not anything. And through that practice, something deeper is revealed. So I want to read something about questioning from Rilke. 
have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. So when we ask a question that's orienting us to to looking a little deeper, to inquiring into the truth, we're not looking for an answer. We're, We're asking the question to orient the mind towards looking. If we come up with an answer, we stop the looking. An answer may, may arise, but that's not actually the point. The point is really in the question. When we come up with answers, usually they come from, the, most of our answers come from mind, from our rational, everyday thinking mind. And as you probably noticed, that that level of mind or thinking isn't really where the depth of our understanding comes from. It comes from something quieter, something deeper. So when I ask you the question, or when you ask yourself the question, who am I? So just take a moment to ask yourself to go inside. Who am I in this moment? Who am I when I don't go to the past or to thought or to memory for a reference point? And I just look into my own experience in this moment. Who am I in this moment? What do you notice? Does a question, does, does an answer arise, or is the mind somewhat perplexed? The mind is perplexed, it's a good sign. That's kind of the spirit of uh, inquiry in a way. You know, and it's not to say that answers don't come, well, I, I'm, this, I'm this body, or I'm this mind, or I'm Mark, or I'm a man, or a woman. English or I'm American. You know, those answers arise. And when an answer arises like that, then you just ask the question again. Well, who am I? Who am I? Maybe we'll, if we have time, we'll, we'll do a little exercise around this. <clears throat> so as you're sitting here, Hold that question. Who am I as I'm listening to this person talk? And is it the same as who I was when I arrived this morning, an hour ago or two hours ago? What do I look to for a reference point in that question? Part of uh, an aspect of investigation, 
as I'm sure you discovered in Vipassana practice, is that we're moving from a level of concept to a level of direct experience. So what I mean by that is, for example, when we say, well, pay attention to body sensations, pay attention to painful sensations if they arise, we're, move, we're encouraging a movement f- away from the concept of pain or knee pain or my knee pain to exploring the direct experience. Because my knee pain doesn't say anything about the experience, right? It's just a babble of words. It doesn't describe that kind of itchy, gnawing, heat, burning, tickling, tingling, numbing things that happen in the in the in the knees and the back and the neck and so we're seeing if we can let go of the concept. Not, not that we get rid of concept, because concepts are useful. If I wasn't given the concept of directions, I wouldn't have got here this morning. So we, we like concepts, you know. And I have a car outside, and if I didn't, if I dropped the concept of car, I might get confused how I'd go home. So we use concepts, and yet we also see the limitation. When we, when we drop below the level of concept to direct, to direct experience, then we start opening more to uh, the truth of that experience. So in Vipassana practice, the orientation to looking or understanding at, at the way experience changes, the way we have little control over how experience manifests. We didn't ask for that thought to arise or that knee pain to arise Sunday morning meditation, did we? It just arises. When we're paying close attention to the direct experience, we see more the truth. We see more the changing nature. We see more the selfless nature. That I call it my knee, but it seems to do whatever it wants to do, include be painful. Surely if it was my knee, I would be able to control all that. I think this process of inquiry is particularly useful around difficult, or what I call difficult, um, difficult emotions, painful emotional states, um, uh, or habitual tendencies, places we habitually get caught in relationship or in relationship to ourselves, particularly painful emotional patterns. when they continue to rise in our practice or in our lives, really they're kind of knocking on the door, asking to be looked at, asking to be understood. When particular emotions keep arising, fear, anxiety, restlessness, anger, whatever your Baskin-Robbins flavor is, we all have our few favorite flavors. They're asking to be understood. They're asking to be looked at, to be held, to be felt, experienced, allowed to be. And this practice you know, allows illumination of them. It doesn't mean to say they go away. That's not the point. The point isn't once we understand them, they go away. The point is to understand them because they're here. And if we're caught in them, they're suffering. 
<clears throat> there's no guarantee that anything will go away. But if we learn how to be with them, there's certainly possibility of ease and spaciousness in the middle of whatever is difficult. For me, working with emotions, particularly, or moods, mind states, um, again, the practice or the emphasis of, of really understanding how they're arising in the body is really crucial. We so like to go to the mental realm. Say fear arises, you're sitting in meditation, you're very calm, and then suddenly the body is overwhelmed with fear and panic and anxiety. Usually what we do with that is we start thinking, well, why am I fearful? I shouldn't be fearful. And God, I've been doing this practice for 10 years and maybe I should meditate more and go on a retreat. And, <laughs> and it's just story. We just get immediately lost in the story. And we don't need to judge that. We don't need to give ourselves a hard time. It's just what we do. It's how we've been trained. We think if we understand it and figure it out, we'll work it out and we'll be happy. Um, and we forget to actually just be with the experience. It's why this practice is very radical because it's, um, it's somewhat countercultural just to be with an experience and allow an experience and not fix it, change it, understand it, work it out. Just be with it. So next time a strong familiar pattern arises in the mind, body, heart, allow a sense of... Um, See if there can be a place of openness to it, a sense of embracing it, a sense of allowing space to look into it, to explore it. The same in relationships. You know, relationships are a wonderful minefield for uh, triggering core tendencies. That's what they're designed for, yeah. <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> well, that's what they do anyway. They do other things too, but that's, <laughs> I'm seeing that particular angle at the moment. <laughs> you know, we get we get triggered a lot, whether it's our partner, our child, our parent, boss, colleague, um, or even people we don't know. <laughs> um, it's a big part of our of our lives. How to be how to be in relationship, how to do that wisely. And of course we get tripped up and triggered all along the way, all the time, in some form or other, pleasantly or unpleasantly. And again, the, 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 the place of inquiry is really helpful in that situation. Sometimes because of the intensity of the particular dynamic, you can't necessarily do it in the moment, but sometimes you can, sometimes I can. Often, for me, it takes time to um, take a step back and, again, sort of, with a felt sense, track what's happening in that relationship that keeps triggering this and just allowing the space for whatever to unfold, to unfold without trying to work it out with my mind. And again, without having kind of an agenda of fixing it, but just to explore it for its own sake because it's there.
This is a quote from Jack, Jack Cornfield. Our inquiry can lead us to most fundamental spiritual questions, to the nature of our own self. If everything we see is changing, what can we identify in this process as ourselves? We can see what concepts or body image or deep sense of self we hold as me or mine, as who we are, and we begin to question this whole structure. And perhaps in deep stillness we can come to that which goes beyond our limited sense of self, that which is silent, timeless, and universal. So in Vipassana practice, there's a strong focus on what's called the three characteristics, on impermanence, the nature of unsatisfactoriness of experience because it's impermanent, we can't hold on to it, and the nature of the selfless quality of experience of self. We can sort of turn those questions on their head in a way and we can, in the form of an inquiry, and we can ask the question, if everything is changing, what is unchanging? The Buddha pointed to the changeless, the deathless, the timeless, the formless, the unborn, the undying. If everything is changing, what is unchanging? What is there that abides that's not governed by this law of change? If everything has within its nature some inherent unsatisfactoriness, where is, where is satisfaction? If everything seems to have some sense of self to it, which on one level it seems to, it seems like there's a lot of selves in this room today, where is, the, where is the selfless nature? What is that? So we can have these, these themes for our inquiry, which we don't answer overnight. They're lifelong inquiries, which is something very beautiful because it's like looking into a, into a, you know, a cut diamond. There's this multifaceted, multilayered, there's no one dimension to it. I find that very rich and juicy, that, that it's an ongoing uh, inquiry. So I think I'll stop there. I think what I'd like to do is just do a little exercise in inquiry. I, I actually, when I, I didn't realize I only had 45 minutes, I'd like to do a few exercises, but for the sake of time, um, we're probably only going to do, be able to do one. Finish at 10.45, is that right? More or less. More or less. Okay. So if you could just um, turn to the nearest person to you, we're going to uh, form dyads, pairs, so just fall, just turn to the nearest person to you.
there's, there's usually two exercises I do when I teach this. But I think if, you, if anyone is coming to see Greg, he's going to teach the one I would normally teach, which is it's basically doing Vipassana practice out loud. You're articulating your experience. Um, but he'll probably do that next week. So I'm going to pass on that uh, and just jump into the deep end. So the first person to touch the other pawn on the knee is partner A. <laughs> that, that sorted out a lot of complicated transaction. Good. You can make a story about how that you know you're assertive or passive or you know, but don't go there. Um, so we're going to do a, um, an open-ended inquiry. So pawn A will be asking the question. Partner B will answer it. And the question is, who are you? So, Pan A is, is asking the question and just listening and just re- and just acknowledging. Partner B um, will answer the question, and when they're done with the question, it might be one word: "Well, I'm Bill, or I'm male, or I'm tired, or I'm don't know." The, the questions, the answer is acknowledged. And the question is asked again, who are you? So it's a repeating question. I think it's helpful for part of the person who's answering the question, partner B, to go inside. You can keep your eyes open if you want, but if you go inside, you, you get a more visceral sense. You get a somewhat of a deeper response. And it could be, you know, it could be anything. There's no, there's no right answer, right? It could be I'm 52, you know, years old. It could be I'm nobody. You know, it's there's no. It's just what's true in this moment. That's not coming from a concept. What's your direct experience in this moment of who you are? So, I'll ring a bell after a few minutes, and then we'll switch. And we'll. So, partner A, who are you? So part so partner B can breathe a deep sigh of relief. Partner A can start worrying. So we'll switch roles. So partner B will answer the, ask the question. Partner A will answer. It's the same question. Who are you? And just notice what's happening. Embarrassment, laughter, confusion, not knowing, feeling silly. They're just allowing all of that to be there. Okay. Fire away. Yeah. <laughs> 
So take a moment just to explore how that was with your partner. Take a moment to explore how that was with your partner. Just talk just talk to your partner about it. Where's the, where's, the, where's the big bell? <laughs> that seemed to create little energy in the room. <laughs> a little heat, a little intensity. Good. You wake, wake up the Sunday morning, right? So I'm aware of the time. Um, if anybody needs to leave, please do so. But I, I, I think it's valuable to have some, some checking in about that. So if you need to leave, that's fine. But I'm happy to go on and just have a little discussion before we close. Please. If we're um, accepting the concept of no self... We Are we? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Um, why not? I mean, if you accept the concept of no self, you're accepting the concept. That's not a big deal. I mean, just it's an intellectual acceptance, right? So the asking the question is just is to it's like okay, well, I've heard about this concept of no self. What's my experience? That's what we're interested in. You know, the Buddha said, don't don't give a hoot about what I say. Check it out for your experience. If it doesn't concur with your experience, throw it out. And he said that quite categorically. So do not take these teachings as dogma. You know, that, So these inquiries are for that reason. Okay, this, this thing called selflessness, well, it feels like, it feels pretty solid, you know. <laughs> feels like I'm here. <laughs> what is he on about? So, so we explore, well, what, what is that, you know? And my, my, generally my sense is we start from the gross. It's like, who am I? Well, I'm a body. And then it usually gets subtler. You know, because we start to get, we start to, we sort of run out of the answers, and then it gets a little more interesting, a little more mysterious. Well, who am I? So, so I would, I would ask you to hold anything lightly, any concept, because you know, we could say there's a self or not a self. Actually, the Buddha never said one way or the other. He was asked, "Is there a self?" And he said nothing. He was asked, "Is there not a self?" He said nothing. He said, if I said one or the other, people would get lost in the view. So he remained agnostic. So, please. So it was uh, confusing for my mind, actually. Because that's... Um, Good. And, and the first thing that came to me when you asked the question, and I don't have the answers, was that I'm here. Here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I found that interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you explore here, what is that? Well, it's like lack of something else, in a way. Uh-huh. It's, it's uh-huh. Um, so that's not a, identifying with the thoughts. Uh-huh. So that's a really good place to explore. What does it mean to be here? What is that? 
what is here. for an answer. Please. For me, I feel that I have been totally overwhelmed by the concept of selflessness with exhaustion and dealing with a lot of chores. A lot of chores. Chores. Chores, as in like duties, work, or choice? Duties, work. Duties, work. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ref- let me reflect that back because I'm just I'm not fully with you there. So when you're tired and there's a lot of chores, the notion of selflessness is exhausting. Right, 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 right. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. So two things. One is there's, a, you know, there's appropriate time and a place for inquiry. Um, you know, me, you know mind, being aware and practicing inquiry, either of them, takes a relative degree of energy. You know, after lunch... We don't have we, the mindfulness isn't as clear, right? Because we don't have the energy. So it's important to pay attention to when uh, when it's wise, when finding the skillful time to say do the inquiry. It's up to you. <laughs> So, I, I, so my second answer, second part of my answer to your question is, um, you ask the question, who's tired, and who's doing the chores? Because actually, carrying around the notion of self is the exhaustion. Actually, that is what's exhausting. In some way. It was interesting to me is how uh, the concept of what myself is every time that my partner would ask me the question had changed. It was mm-hmm. very impermanent. Mm-hmm. What came out, I remember once I was an old man and a, and a frightened boy and a, and a strong man. Mm-hmm. So all yeah, great. scattered over that five minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also the, the, uh, the mood states uh, change very rapidly also. And I notice that in my practice and sort of my daily life is that um, by not holding on to any, any fixed part in any given moment of what I am at that moment, uh, especially if they're uh, hindrance states, you know, like, uh, that uh, if I can let go of that and just see where that is uh, in my body or whatever, um, 
God, it's just like five seconds later, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. It's just really amazing how impermanent this idea of self is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It is. And this exercise helps reveal that. Right. Yeah. That we're different. We're different in each moment. We're a different person than we were five minutes ago. It's not the same. The sense of self is not abiding. It's purely, um, as uh, one of my teachers, Punjaji, talked about it, the sense of self is an I-thought that latches itself on to every experience. So thought arises, oh, it's my thought. An experience happens, and my experience. Pain in the leg, oh, it's my leg. I did well in meditation, oh, I did, you know, nice experience in meditation, I did good. I did bad. It's the I-thought. So the sense of self is continually changing depending on what it's identifying with in the moment. So who do you, you know, another way of asking the question is who do you take yourself to be in this moment? Mm -hmm. So, thank you. Any last questions, reflections? Was that useful? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I encourage you to uh, to not just take that, um, not just to, to use that one particular inquiry, that's a very useful one, but to just you know cultivate, bring some attention to this theme of investigation because it's very enriching and very freeing. So thank you for your attention. May our practice be for the welfare and happiness, and not just for ourselves, but for all those we come into contact with, and for all beings everywhere. May all beings be free of pain, suffering, and live with peace and harmony. Thank you.